Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 118. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to conclude the epic Santa Claus franchise with the Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. Shot on a $12 million budget. Do you think Disney didn't have a lot of faith in this one going into it? I I just have to... This movie is... is, Okay, I, I usually don't spoil my review. But this movie is universally panned, right? This is every bit the debacle that <laughs> yes. we thought the sequels were going to be. Okay, so we're just going to go ahead and throw that out there right now. Shot with a $12 million budget at Downey Studios. Not even shot on Disney property per se, right? I mean, yeah. What, what do you expect? An escape clause for Santa. I, I just... Oh. All right, I'm going to save the rest of my review, but I just had to get that off of my chest to start this one. I actually like the title. It had a lot of promise. It, I will say, it. Ha- yes, there's a lot of intrigue because you wonder whether or not he wants to actually exercise an escape clause or not. I just like that there is one. Yes. I like that they followed through through on the idea of he's still trying to balance Scott and Santa. And that this is still a contract. Exactly. Because a lot of people forget with that E on the end, this makes it a legally binding contract. A lot of people don't know that that is how you spell clause as in the contract and not yes. Santa. Santa has no E. Um, had you seen this movie prior to this week? No. Okay. Neither did I. <laughs> no Bernard and no interest. No. Um, okay. So this one came out in November of 2006. Let's just launch right into the plot here, because I feel like we're going to have a lot of things to say. So we are now 12 years since Scott Calvin first put on the Santa suit. He is now married with a child due just before Christmas. He is so busy, Mrs. Claus starts feeling neglected and wishes she could spend more time with her family. To cheer her up, Scott decides to invite her parents up to the North Pole under the guise of a visit to his toy shop in Canada. As he prepares for his in-laws, he is interrupted by an emergency meeting of the Council of Legendary Figures, who sanctioned Jack Frost for his attention-seeking behavior. Seeing Santa's predicament being spread too thin before the holiday, Frost talks himself out of trouble by offering to assist Santa at the North Pole so that he can focus on his family. Santa accepts and leaves the North Pole to go get his in-laws while Frost oversees the Canada transformation. Before fetching his in-laws, Scott drops in on Charlie, who plans to spend the holiday with his girlfriend, and Lucy takes the opportunity to talk herself into visiting the North Pole, supervised by her parents, Laura and Neil, of course. Santa then goes to collect Bud and Sylvia, who don't mince words when it comes to letting Scott know how unhappy they are that he and Carol don't visit. Back at the North Pole, Jack Frost is using Santa's absence to learn about the escape clause. He gets Curtis to explain how Scott can give up being Santa by wishing he had never put on the suit. Frost starts wreaking havoc on the North Pole just as Scott gets back with his extended family and is almost pushed to the brink of quitting. Needing a break, Scott takes Lucy to the Hall of Snow Globes and gives her her Christmas gift. Scott also shows Lucy his globe, which he got when he became Santa. As soon as they leave the hall, Frost, who has been following them, steals Scott's globe. He disguises it as a gift and gives it back to Scott while in the middle of a breakdown. Scott wishes he had never become Santa while holding the globe and travels back 12 years to the moment Santa fell off of his roof. 
or Rufus, Tim Allen says. Scott sees not only how his personal relationships are affected by him not putting on the suit, but that now Frost has become Santa and turned the North Pole into an amusement park. As it turns out, Neil and Lucy now have a tradition of visiting the North Pole because he is divorced from Laura. Scott tracks them down and begs Lucy to help him put things right by retrieving Frost's snow globe and making him wish he was never Santa. Scott and Jack Frost again return to the night Santa falls off Scott's roof, and after they struggle, Scott sets everything as it should be. He is so happy to be Santa again, he even reveals his true identity to his in-laws and shows them the North Pole, where Charlie has recruited the Council of Legendary Figures to help catch up with getting the presents ready for delivery. Oh, where to begin? Um, well, before we do, I, I do want to share with our listeners what just happened, that it took almost 45 minutes to get through the plot because Walt was having a temper tantrum in the other room. Yeah. Would you like to explain why? We decorated the inside of the house yesterday. So Walt's Christmas stocking has been out for a whole 24 hours. But today we bought home the tree. And I guess maybe maybe I shouldn't have brought this up because this just goes to show how much we spoil him. He's been crying the entire time we've been trying to record because he wanted his stocking. And there's nothing even in it yet. He just nope, knows he just that wanted. that's where endless treats come from. Yep. And that's all he wanted was to possess his stocking. So we literally took it down and we gave it to him and he nuzzled it on the bed and... Now he has quieted down. That is a real thing that happened. So now that that fire's been put out, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the this dumpster one. fire. I think the best thing I can say about this movie is that the sets look good. But can you really even say that about this movie? Because they were wonderful throughout. I will die on the hill of this is the best depiction of the North Pole ever. But. You can't even credit that to the third movie because it was already done. I'm trying to find something. No, there is one other thing in this movie that I like that we will get to eventually. But the sets are great. At least there is consistency. Okay. Right. Now, at the end of the second movie, in in like a post-credit scene, they have Mrs. Claus. She comes out and she's dancing. I didn't need that. First off, you didn't need it, but you especially don't need it when you get to this movie because in that film, they had put a little weight on her at yes. the end of the second movie, um, and that's all gone. That's all gone in this movie. Even when she's pregnant, it's gone. That's what I was going to say, and you have the perfect out, too, because she's pregnant. I mean... If the actress didn't want to gain weight, she didn't want to gain weight. I'm well, not no, going to fault course. her for that. But they bothered to do it with prosthetics for a stupid end credit scene in the in the second one. Yeah. Why not now? I will say this, though. What I do like about her transition is obviously, you know, they didn't age her. They didn't turn her hair gray. They didn't put weight on her. But they curled her hair into the little ringlets so that I, I like that they're you know, sort of slowly phasing her into becoming the Mrs. Cl the, you know, the traditional Mrs. Claus that you see on the Christmas cards. There, there's kind of a, you know, generic look for Mrs. Claus. Similarly, that's about the last good thing I can say about her in this movie. Right, because the other thing is that they're aging them. Right. Maybe not her all the way necessarily, 
how are they having a baby? Come on. Well, when a when a Mrs. Claus and oh a Mr. My Claus love each other very much. <laughs> okay. Oh, now I all right. So jokes aside, I do see what you are saying because, I mean, I am not aware that. I mean, well, here's it. We didn't have a problem in Noel where Santa had a family. So I'm not going to take liberty with it here. But um, what I care more about here is the fact that she now, while being all about becoming Mrs. Claus, is now, within a week of Christmas, getting on his case for spending too much time at work. Well, dialing that back... Now that I'm sort of putting it together, because they didn't age her all the way, I guess that's where they're getting away with this is that she's still Carol and Carol wasn't too old to have a child. Right. And in Santa's case, I guess, good for him. Yeah. So that gets a pass. But my point is we do not need a baby clause. This destroys the whole concept of Scott having to do a balancing act between his regular life at home versus the North Pole. So now they're still trying to create that conflict, but you don't bring it to the pole. Right. And in addition to the fact that, as I stated before, She's getting annoyed with him being too tied up with work the week before the one day a year that he actually works. Right. And I buy into the fact that now she's done four Christmases with him because the second movie was eight years out. Now we're 12. And I understand that her focus is on starting a family, but you married Santa Claus. You knew what you were getting yourself into. Yeah, I mean... Any time after Thanksgiving, I mean, he's just going to be busy. Well, that completely goes against the first one. And the, the second one did it, too, where Bernard tells him he doesn't have to report back to the poll until Thanksgiving. So they laid it out that he does have some flexibility. And then the second one goes against that. And again, here, they, they could have had that double life. I will give that a pass, though, because three movies of Scott trying to hide that he's Santa Claus would have gotten quite a bit played out. What I am surprised that they didn't do here is lean into the fact that Scott Calvin was obsessed with work and that's why his first marriage failed. And it's why he almost didn't end up having a good relationship with Charlie as a child before he became Santa. And that really would have bought the concept for the third one full circle. Yes, there are a number of ways that this film could have gone that would have made more sense and would have made a better movie than what we ended up with. Right, or being that they bothered to do this whole thing with the in-laws, maybe they could have leaned into them having a baby where the in-laws want to meet their grandchild instead of just her emotional breakdown and wanting to see her parents because she feels neglected, which... I also don't buy from Carol because I feel like she's stronger than that, too. Especially because she was all about it at the end of the second movie. And in the second movie, she also wasn't that close to her parents. No. She came from a borderline broken home. That was the whole thing was Scott had to make her fall in love with Christmas again because she didn't like the holiday because she didn't have many happy memories as a child. 
And again, that would have bought her even more full circle, too, because now she wants to repair that relationship with her family because she's about to have a child. Yeah. Like I said, there are a million ways that this could have gone. Like explaining where the hell Bernard is. Would somebody like to tell me what happened to Bernard? Please, could somebody tell me? Because it's poof and he's gone. No, no throwaway line to cover it. No, nothing. The only thing that I do appreciate, I mean, we kind of assume that Curtis has stepped into this role. He is not the head elf. He doesn't call himself the head elf. No, he calls himself the number one elf. Right. But I feel like you could have covered Bernard's disappearance with something. Yeah, I mean, they certainly could have covered it with that unsettling evil fireplace in, I don't know if that's Scott's <laughs> living room or his bedroom at the North Pole. That thing seems like something that I would have seen in Laughing in the Dark in Are You Afraid of the Dark? That thing is horrifying. Oh my God, it totally does look like Zebo. You're right. It is petrifying. And it's just so tacky. It makes no sense. Like... Scott has become so humble over the course of these films, you'd feel like the last thing he'd want is a fireplace in his shape where the fireplace is really just his open mouth. I could have seen the Scott Calvin of 12 years ago wanting something like that, like a bust in his honor or something. This would have been a better set piece if it were Jack Frost after he remakes the North Pole. Yes, I just feel like so much that happens in the first 10 minutes of this movie is so weak. I think the motivation for this film is weak. I think that that ridiculous fireplace, the lack of, other than Santa Claus himself, the most iconic character in the franchise, the fact that he's just gone with no explanation is weak. So... I mean, we really are off to a very poor start. Right. And while we said the second one wasn't perfect, it tied back to the first one enough where there was a reason for doing it, a reason for bringing the characters back. And they actually did, except for the ending, create a pretty balanced story. Between the first and the second, you really did have good bones here to bring the entire franchise full circle. Yeah, because the second one was a surprise for me. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. This is as bad as I figured it was going to be. Um, but you're right. There was so much going on and so much for them to build. You also didn't need a third movie, but you know everything gets a trilogy now. Um, you didn't really need to do anything past the second movie. A second movie where we have this council of legendary figures, there is never once a mention of Jack Frost. Never once in the second movie. So, so you're reintroducing this council to us with this new member that's been a part of it for hundreds of years. I mean, it doesn't come completely out of left field because they didn't they didn't stick strictly to holidays. Like they had Father Time, they had Mother Nature. So I'll buy that there is a Jack Frost personified, but. It's interesting that they chose to do that and they didn't have, I mean, there's never any leprechaun for St. Patrick's Day. Right. 
And I mean, I don't know that that would have served the story any better just to, you know, touch on a holiday that's not represented here. Um, because I do sort of like the idea that his Jack Frost jealousy comes from him being in the same season as Christmas, but he gets none of the same attention. That's fine. It's plausible. It's plausible. That's fine. But he had to be in the second movie. For this to make sense, he had to be in the second movie. Right. With that said, I'm glad that they got all of them back and all of the same actors, especially because this was Peter Boyle's last film before he passed away. I I kind of don't know how to react to that. Like, I'm glad that he was in it, but, I mean, young it's Frankenstein. not how and, you want to end your career. No. This is not, this is like Sean Connery going out on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh. It's probably not that bad, but I say probably. I can't even say definitively. So, I mean, listen, the man was a legend. This is certainly not, this is not the benchmark for his entire career. This isn't what he gets remembered for. But this isn't the movie that you want him to go out with either. No. Now, with that said, you introduce this character of Jack Frost. And I have to say, I think the casting of Martin Short was spot on. Because I think he looks awesome. I think his sense of humor and how dry he is is perfect. And I will go so far as to say, including Santa Claus that Martin Short is the best part of this movie. I would definitely agree with you. I mean, I I totally hear what you're saying and agree that the character would have landed harder if he was included in the second sequel, but I almost don't even care just because Martin Short is so good. I mean, I happen to love Martin Short in these roles. I love A Simple Wish. Like, that was one of my jams as a kid I thought that movie was hysterical and it's because of him he's got you know not quite like Tim Curry but he's got a certain amount of flamboyance to the character that he plays especially with Jack Frost and I mean yeah he's doing musical numbers but I I just love the panache that he brings yeah like when he talks about partying at his condo it's it just it, it it that's him. I mean that's just Martin Short, and I, I think he did improv a lot. Um, and when you have somebody like him and somebody like Tim Allen, I mean they're so comedically talented that the two of them can play off of each other very well. And Tim Allen, I mean he's very quick witted too. He's a stand up comedian, you know, before he was an actor, so it works. But I mean, yeah, he, he is the he is the best part of the movie. I would honestly rather watch the bloopers than this movie which by the way disney plus give us the bloopers we did get them we got them in the end credits that's not enough that was like 30 seconds well because it had to be more because it's the best 30 seconds of the movie (laughs) (laughs) i mean it it really is other than neil's sweaters that are now reversible (laughs) which don't get old uh yeah the blooper reel is better than what actually got put to film that kills me every well every time we watch this we watched it twice just for the show. 
just to record this. You're welcome. <laughs> no, I, I, that was hysterical. What I also like is that Neil sort of steps up and instead of his profession always being used against him by Scott, here he sort of milks it for all it's worth when Lucy's begging to go to the North Pole and, um, Oh my God, what does he say? What, let's take a feelings check or whatever. Yeah. That's hysterical. But he uses psychology to guilt Santa into taking them. And it's and, actually a really great scene. And I I did like seeing Neil and Laura at the North Pole and watching the kid that wanted the weenie whistle run around like a kid. What I don't like is that Charlie doesn't go. And yeah. they do address it. They take care of it in a throwaway line. But I would have believed it more if Charlie was off with Bernard. Like maybe maybe they've joined the tech team because we know that the elves are really savvy with something like that. And maybe, maybe they're creating some kind of Canada tech that they're going to use to dupe the in-law. Anything would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many things that could have been better. Um, I'm going to say that a lot. Um, the Canada thing is hilarious. It's though. hysterical, and that's I a great cover up. It is a great cover up. I love all the signage. And yes, maybe I can say this because surprise, I'm not Canadian, but the jokes don't get old. No, eh? they don't get old at all. No, and even even things that aren't Canada specific, like they have the Christmas tree lot with a sign that says "Christmas trees from Canada, where you are right now." Yeah. I will tell you what does get old. Flatulence jokes and the Hanna-Barbera soundboard. That pops up a lot in this movie. I think fart jokes are lazy. Outside of a movie like Dumb and Dumber, I think it's very lazy. I think that this series is above that. But the wacky Scooby-Doo... Flintstone sound effects every time Santa falls down the stairs. It's like a slide whistle for crying it, out loud. It's it's horrible. It's absolutely terrible. And I don't understand why. Because you don't really get those sound effects. The Hanna-Barbera stuff. And nothing against Hanna-Barbera. That's great if you want to watch a cartoon on television. But if I'm sitting to watch one of these movies, I don't want to hear it. And you didn't do it in the first movie. You kind of did it in the second movie, but that happens a lot here, and I don't understand why. The only place that it would be acceptable would be with the marionette, the puppet show in his room, which I also missed in this one. They didn't bring them back for the third. Yeah. But Scott also, you don't see Santa's bedroom. You see the living room now. Right, which... I guess they did. I, I guess that's a stylistic choice, which I, yeah, it, I kind of makes sense now that there is a Mrs. Claus in the picture. That's fine, but I did miss those characters. Definitely. Um, Curtis is still clumsy, which I actually liked. Um, as kind of far fetched as it was, how he just gave up all of the secrets to Jack Frost. I felt like Curtis is kind of smarter than that, but he walks right into just telling him everything because Jack Frost does the, oh, I know, 
but you don't. It, yeah, like, like it's so prove dumb. you know. Yeah, yeah, prove you know. Well, I hate to say this, but Curtis is that dumb because remember when we meet Curtis in the second film, it's quiet time and he's blaring Christmas music and this he almost true. blows up the North Pole spot. So technically that is sort of on brand for Curtis. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that one. <laughs> point, point for Curtis, point for the movie. So now we're almost halfway through the movie when they start talking about the escape clause. This takes forever to set up. Yeah, I mean, I think of the hour and 33 minutes or so, I actually think they spend about an hour and 10 minutes setting up Jack Frost actually taking over as Santa Claus. That is the biggest problem with this movie. If not the dead middle of the film, I mean, they definitely take all of the first act just to set this up, which is, it's, it's just too long. It should have been the focus of the entire film. Imagine if you were watching Jurassic Park and all you had was Hammond and his attorneys talking about how great it was for the first hour and 45 minutes of that two hour movie. And you got to see dinosaurs for 15 minutes. That is what happens here. That's actually a really great comparison. Uh, And it does not make any sense. I've never seen a film spend so much time setting up the plot to only spend about 10 or 15 minutes in that plot. No, and especially because this is where, to me, it really picks up and gets interesting. I mean... It, it's sort of like Mrs. Claus becomes the subplot at this point where and I, I think that's where this starts falling apart because you have two very strong storylines and it sort of alternates which one is your A story and your B story. And because Frost is the villain, he should have been the A story the whole time. I think you could have written out this entire drama with the in-laws and maybe just if we're going to have to do a baby Claus then that can be the focus. And that could also be why Carol's sort of sitting this out because she's nine months pregnant. She's ready to pop. Right. And, you know, maybe she feels a little neglected and she's upset because she doesn't help Scott the way she normally does. Or maybe she, you know, she's upset because she can't go on the deliveries. But you have the the two storylines start to conflict the way that Santa is is spread too thin. I mean, that that was the whole point, but that shouldn't have been the focus. The focus should have been, there's the escape clause, Jack Frost wants in, and Santa, or Scott Calvin, is accidentally out. Right. And you could have played this entire movie, it doesn't matter how close to a Christmas carol or It's a Wonderful Life it is, showing Scott what it would be like if, had he never put on that suit. Right. And that, that's the point. That's the drama. That's the heartbreak. But instead, quote unquote, the disaster, it goes on for way too long. Every which way they turn around at the North Pole, something breaks, something collapses, something catches fire. Like, Frost does too much. And they focus on way too much. Like, two things. At best, three could have happened. Then they could have happened quickly. For Scott to seem that he's in over his head. For him to blurt out the words, I wish I'd never become Santa. And then you could have had 
45 minutes to an hour of Scott trying to problem solve Back to the Future 2. Here's another great movie where you have a quick setup and then the meat of the film is trying to problem solve and fix the alternate universe. Right, and that's where you could have also deviated from Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life instead of showing him what it would be like, which I do like that they do here with the North Pole as a theme park. I actually think that's very funny. It's ironic coming from Disney, but I like it. That's why it's so funny to me. And I believe that from Jack Frost because in the beginning they do touch on he's trying to commercialize himself and you know he's like, well, Santa's on a Coke bottle. So I totally buy that this is what he would do with his power. But I think it would be more interesting, right, that Scott doesn't catch him falling off the roof, especially because they take us there to that moment and you see the battle play out. So maybe he has to spend the entire his entire past tracking down Frost and trying to circumvent these things from happening. Right. And maybe just maybe his good buddy Bernard could have figured all of this out, jumped back in time and figured out a way to help him. Right, but instead, we spend way too much time on things that either don't make sense or go nowhere or are just flat-out uncomfortable, like the Jack Frost nipping at your nose scene. Oh. Okay, so Anne-Margaret, love her, is in this film, plays Carol's mom opposite Alan Arkin, who is a treasure. The casting is brilliant. The casting's great. But they didn't know what to do with them. No. So, so <laughs> you wasted Anne Margaret and Alan Arkin. I mean, do you know how hard you have to try to waste Anne Margaret and Alan Arkin? I mean, really, do you think about how hard you have to try. They it's, didn't try. It's I a think skill. that's the point. It's a skill. You have this scene where Jack Frost is smitten with Anne Margaret. I mean, because who isn't? I mean, let's just call it what it is. Is he smitten with her? Is he just so in love with himself he needs to feed off of this? No, I think he's smitten with her because he gets her to keep singing the Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And every time she does it, it's a little bit more sultry and a little bit more sultry. And he gets really uncomfortable. And then I don't remember what the line is, but it's something to the effect of, do you want to be my elf? Something like that. And she goes... What? And he goes, you heard me. And it's just the way that he sa- he saves it because Martin Short is just brilliant. He turns a very uncomfortable scene very funny, but it's still a really uncomfortable scene. Right. And he asks the same thing of Lucy as well. Not, Not- in quite the same connotation, but I think I would have liked a little bit more clarity on that because... You're right. With Anne Margaret, it's uncomfortable. And he's also asking Lucy. So I think what he's really looking for is a sidekick. Like, sort of like Pinky in the Brain. He's trying to take over the world. He needs somebody to help him. Yeah. How many different things did we reference that did it better? (laughs) By the way, I'm just saying. I will buy into that. But you're right. Because of the way he asks Anne Margaret... And it just makes it so awkward. It makes it seem like the elf is is more than a sidekick at that point. And then it gets a little confusing. Right. When he asks the 
eight-year-old or nine-year-old, however old she is about it. Um, uh, actually, she is... She, no, 11. She was about to turn seven. That's right. So it's four years later. So we do know how old she is. Mm-hmm. So that is uncomfortable and leaves a lot to be desired, and it leaves a lot of questions. So you can sit there and say, well, this doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Just like the whole tree topper scene does not make any sense. Carol is decorating the tree with her parents and she's holding out to finish because Scott puts the topper on the tree. It's just what happens. It's always Scott that does it. So when she finally convinces him to stop what he's doing to put the topper on the tree, Frost loosens the screws on the tree, Scott puts the topper on, it falls over, and it shatters. And... This then leads to Carol having a breakdown and her parents getting into a fight with Scott, saying they shouldn't have come. Scott saying, yes, maybe you should just leave. Okay, I understand you're trying to set up drama. This tree topper has no significance. It's the North Pole's tree topper. It should be at least 50 times more elaborate than it is. To me, it that should have been the snow globe or or just something that was very significant to Scott or to Charlie. But why does he need to put the top on the tree? Why does she have a breakdown when it falls? We have no there there is no backstory with this tree topper as to why it is so special, as to why it is so significant. It's just another thing that happens. I don't think you need that much backstory, though, because it's part of the tradition. You know, you put the topper on, you light the tree, but this is the tree of the North Pole. It's, you know, what what other significance does it need? And Scott's the head of the house, so yeah, he puts it on the tree. I mean, that might be a very old-fashioned idea, but, it, you know, it's Santa's tree. He should put the... T- you know, take I, Scott out of the picture. It's Santa's tree. He should put that on. I understand that, but because they made such a thing of it, because this is where the movie starts to boil over, it seems like it came out of nowhere. The way that they all reacted, it seems like it just, it seems like they reacted that way because we had to move the movie along. Right. And this is still prior to the escape clause. We're still at, we're an hour into the movie. What I really don't like about this scene is that Scott is, and not to sound like Neil, but he's demonstrating repetitive behavior because he keeps answering the phone when it rings. And I get that he's Santa and I get that he has this unbelievable deadline and Australia is not going to get their presents if he doesn't deliver. Um, but it's like we've seen this before. And and if we're going to replay it, I just wish they would have, t- especially because Laura is there. That would have been a much better movie. I'm just putting this together now. Take the in-laws out entirely and have Laura in Carol's ear about why Scott is going to fail. I mean... Maybe that is sort of counterproductive because Laura is rooting Scott on after she knows that he's Santa, obviously, and because he has otherwise been a good father to Charlie. Well, 
no, the second movie does tell us otherwise. Okay, so then there it is. Yeah, Laura's in her ear and Carol's getting pissed. Instead, Laura's the greatest ex-wife of all time that wants to go and help her ex-husband's wife with their new child. I mean, okay, I guess it's 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 acceptable because he is now Santa Claus. So her heart is warm to the idea, but the movie even calls out how uncomfortable and bizarre this entire thing is. But that would have been a great growth point for Laura is that she's forgiven Scott for the sake of Charlie, but she's had her Santa goggles on or her Santa blinders on this entire time because she got her mystery date game. But now she's starting to see scott's patterns again and now she's getting upset frost frost should Uh, have infiltrated there it is there it is because neil's off doing yoga with the elves and running around looking at the so imagine if frost put the idea in her head and he kept nudging her and nudging her and nudging her. And that could have been the scene, a little conversation with them over a cup of cocoa instead of the awkward Jack Frost nipping at your nose singing. Instead, Laura and Neil get frozen and stuffed in a closet. Yeah, Mr. Freeze. He just freezes them, Frost, and stuffs them in a closet. With Lucy, who is not frozen, but she goes into the closet because... Frost threatens her. He locks her in the closet with her frozen parents. That was lame. Very, very much so. And I don't believe that from Lucy either because she's got so much more gumption than that. Did I mention that we're about an hour and ten minutes into the movie? That's right, and we have still not invoked the escape clause. We have not invoked the escape clause. And when it does happen, it's completely cheapened because Scott has to say it like three times for it to actually happen. He never would have said it that many times. Well, that's he sort of says it in pieces, but he's not holding the globe yet. And then finally he puts his hand on the globe and says the whole thing all together. Yeah, but he but he's got the globe in his hand and he doesn't look at who opens a gift and puts the gift in their hand without looking at what is in the box first. And it's so deliberate because he's getting angry and he's sort of flailing his arms. So he has to not look at this thing in his hand. The whole and I hate to say it because the two of them are so talented and they're so wonderful together. The whole scene is just kind of awkward and clunky. Very clunky. Very clunky. And then the the screaming as they're fighting over it. That's so bad. It's so bad. So then we get to this alternate Scott Calvin universe with Quipke from... Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Um, And this is where the movie gets so good. Yeah. Okay. This is, and and if you would have done this for an hour, this movie would have been great. Right? Because it's totally heart-wrenching. Laura and Neil are divorced. He goes up with Lucy. You mentioned it before. Laura, I think, is working as a waitress. Charlie is not spending any time with her. We get the backstory that Scott is not spending any time with them. He makes the staff work on Christmas Eve. He doesn't understand why he let this happen. 
and then you see the North Pole and everything that Frost did to it and how awful it is and people fighting and, and kids cry. It's terrible, but it's so good. It's terrible, but in every good way possible. This is Biff's. This is when you find out George McFly is dead. This is so good. And you get it for 10 minutes. And it was so interesting. I mean, they spoof everything about the Disney theme park. For the for the few people in your life that you don't really know why they're still hanging around you, but they do, those people that don't like Disney, you need to cut the negativity out of your life. But these are the things that they talk about. It's too expensive. The lines are too long. The kids are screaming. It's such a great parody. And I wanted to spend more time here, especially because you learn that this has become Neil and Lucy's new tradition to spend Christmas up there. Right. So I would I would have liked to see them go like full throttle with like a Christmas tree maze and a petting zoo with the reindeer. I mean, they do have a little one, but it's inside. It, right. Yeah. And it's like two of them. Yeah. It's they could have done so much more with it. Even the the musical number that they do is so awkward because I feel like everybody and they don't show this explicitly, but I just get the impression that everybody is sitting on the floor in a big empty room. Yeah, kind of. That could have been like a nice big theater. Or if they really wanted to to twist the knife a little bit, Jack Frost could have taken something like Santa's bedroom, like the you know where they're actually making the toys just taken something of significance and turn that into his musical theater right for his one man show instead it's just i don't know where it is it's like in the lobby it's uh... here's the other thing that makes no sense okay it makes sense that frost wants to be santa claus right mhm we can agree on that However, he is this legendary figure, right? So who is Jack Frost? Well, that's one question. No, That could have been a whole other subplot because you need somebody to fill his shoes now. But it, I get the feeling that he's filling both spots, but this is my question. They all know who he is already. When he puts on the suit and becomes the big man as Bernard, who's missing, by the way, says none of them questioned how Jack Frost on the legendary council became Santa. They don't question how that happened. They kind of all just roll with it. Right, because... But and, and that's what I'm saying, too, is that there's two slots to fill. So even if he's acting as both, you would think the council still wants somebody to fill that seat for Jack Frost. Right. But if 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 the council members and this is the whole reason why he gets suspended is because he's he does Frostmas and he's trying to right, like yeah. overstep and take the attention away. Not only do you take the attention away, but you become the other mythical figure and you're carrying a dual role. Like, you can't tell me you don't know it's him if the Tooth Fairy all of a sudden became Santa Claus or if Cupid or Father Time all of a sudden became Santa Claus. Wouldn't they have asked a few questions? Right. And that's where it would have been 
I mean, A, we just want Bernard in, but he could have played a role into asking those questions. He could have called the council together and brought it to their attention. Or we saw Charlie rally them in the second one. He pulled his own tooth to get to have the tooth fairy bring him back to the pole. This is where you need Charlie. And I think it, it just would have made for stronger. I mean, they're all strong characters because they've been developed. They're, they're established now, but it just would have made for a stronger character arc from him. If he played a bigger role in this film and a bigger role in saving the day again. Right. Because he really doesn't. No. And if he, if, if, you know, if you want to take it to the back to the future again, it would have been even more interesting had we spent more time 12 years ago with Scott running around, maybe trying to repair his relationship with Charlie when Charlie's a kid and he need and that's the thing. Charlie was the driving force to him becoming Santa. Right. Maybe if he goes to Charlie as Scott and says, this is what happened. And now he's got to get his estranged kid to believe in him all over again. It would have been worth recasting young Charlie to pull that off. Listen, we could have written out every way that this movie could have gone out and randomly taped it to a dartboard and took three darts and wrote one, two, and three on them, blindfolded ourselves and threw them at random, and whatever three things we hit, we could have gone with, and they would have been better than what we saw. That, that, you know what I'm saying? Like we keep, well, you could have done this. You could have, you could have, this, this movie is so bad. You could have literally done anything. You could have literally done anything, but the exact thing that they did. And you would have had a better film. Now, the payoff, I think, when Scott tricks Jack Frost, that works. You mean when he rips off Home Alone with this, talk boy sort of gag that he's got it, it's basically a pen that plays you record it and then it plays it back so he records jack frost saying i wish i had never become santa listen i would have been just fine if they would have ripped off one of the other good christmas movies to have, <laughs> so so if that's what they did here okay fine i can live with it yeah the talk boy pen is basically what this thing is and he gets that's right talk boy did release a pen too not yep. just the not just the recorder I had so them both. a really blatant ripoff. So, yeah, he gets him to say, when you said, I wish I had never been Santa ever, whatever stupidity the actual wording of it is, he records him saying it on the pen, and then Lucy throws him the snow globe, and as he's holding it, he plays it on the pen, and, and okay, I can buy that. That works. But see, this is what I'm talking about. I love the relationship that him and Lucy have developed over the years as Uncle Scott, and they've gotten just closer and closer, and it's adorable. However, this is where it should have been Charlie. It would have made more sense. I would, I would have liked to have seen it. No, and obviously, like I said, you have to recast the child actor, and that's fine. I mean, they did do a good job, I will say this, of matching up shot for shot the first film when yeah. when they do go back in time they did an excellent job with the continuity there but obviously you can't make a whole movie because charlie is grown 
But I'm saying like it would have been worth it to recast the child actor and just get somebody that looks like him. Right. Um, all right. I guess, so now we're, we're at the end of the movie, right? Lauren Neal unfreeze in the worst CGI out of all of them. I, I think the it, it makes the reindeer look good. Yeah, the CGI in this movie, first off, there's way too much of it, and it's all really bad. But yes, it's horrible. Uh, what, what do you got for the end of this movie? Do you have anything? I got nothing. I've This is one of the few times I've kind of just, like, given up. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I just I mean, I got nothing. It's it's just so weak. I mean, I appreciate the note that he ends on with his in-laws is that, you know, families don't lie to each other. So here's my real identity. We're not in Canada anymore, Toto. Fine. Okay. What I don't like is just the big group hug moment after that with the entire council of legendary figures. Yeah. It's so weird. Then you have an awkward moment between Buddy and Mother Nature where he rests his head on her shoulder, which is almost as bad as Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Um, and I, I, I get it. It's, it's kind of like a truth will set you free moment, but it's just so cheesy. And then they still have a baby. I mean... I'm glad that they didn't bother to take us to the delivery room and they just cut to they circle back to the beginning of the film where Mrs. Claus is telling her class because he did give Carol a school. Yeah. She's telling the story of how the baby was born. And then he comes in and he Santa comes in with baby Claus and they announce that he's named after his grandfather, Buddy. And now a million questions. <laughs> Because it's just like, how many other Christmas movies could you rip off and, and you still couldn't make a good movie? That's exactly it. Then my mind started racing again. I was like, wait a second. Is this Buddy the Elf? Exactly. Do you love smiling? Like, I, I was, I like, if that was just a tip of the cap to Elf, because this did come out after. Elf was 2003. This was six. Um, I get the nod. I appreciate that. And I think it's fair to say that Elf has become a Christmas classic. Yep. But it's not like, like if you would have named the kid George Bailey or something, or or right. Rudolph, or even Burl Ives or something, I, I would have appreciated that more. Uh, I would have appreciated a lot of things more in this movie if we didn't have this movie what 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 do you want me to tell you this movie is horrible i mean this movie is a train wreck i i i've not come on to this show and said that about a lot of movies i mean the idea works the movie doesn't i don't know what else to say and it, it breaks my heart to say that about any disney film much less something in this franchise because the first one is so good and the second one is such a formidable sequel this movie is, it, it's terrible. I honestly, it kills me. I love Tim Allen. I loved Home Improvement. I love Buzz Lightyear. I don't know. I, there is no nicer way for me to say this. I, 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 it's, I, I, got, I have nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> for the first time in his life, Sean is rendered, rendered speechless. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, do I really need to reiterate my final synopsis? It's it's 
really bad. What I hate to say is that this was every bit what I expected from the sequel. The second one I was pleasantly surprised by. And I said it last week until almost the end of the second one, I was sitting there going, wow, this was almost as good as Home Alone 2. It was that strong. And the ending was weak. But again, you had enough loose ends where you could have tied them up in a nice bow in this one. Instead, you brought in the in-laws and a baby and it just fell apart. That that It just wasn't a good jumping off point to make a whole third sequel. The Jack Frost storyline, wonderful. But I think that we should have lived in there with less conflict from everything else, especially because, like I said, the whole... The whole first and second one were about Scott balancing his life on Earth with his life in the North Pole. I shouldn't say life on Earth, but his his normal life as Scott with his life as Santa. He is now fully immersed as Santa and he's got his Mrs. Claus. Now we should see him fully adapted to that and the conflicts that he's facing as Santa. Not so much, especially because Charlie's grown enough where you don't even have him in this movie. Right. I think Bernard could have saved this. And that would have made a difference in the whole thing. Where are you, Crom Holtz? <laughs> Why can't I find you? No, but in, in all seriousness, we're never just going to sit here and be like, well, this movie's bad. We have not... It's come- been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. No, but I'm, we, we didn't just pan the movie for the sake of panning the movie. We've been sitting here for an hour coming up with alternates and not just one we've come up with an alternate for almost every scene and every character so the fact that we're able to figure out so many ways to do this differently just shows you how bad it is listen for those of you who are new we liked the cat from outer space okay (laughs) all right so just you put that in perspective if you're new to the show And if you are, of course, every week we invite you to let us know what you think about this movie. I mean, I'm not going to say what do you think about it because I know everybody dislikes it. You can. Why don't you? I don't know. Throw something. It's like a gong show. Throw something at the wall. Give us. Give us the. Give us your uh, Santa Claus three and let us know how you would have liked to see it play out. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. I'm out of breath. Uh, You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up. First, we're going to take a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. Perfect. 
All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets, or you can contact me directly at j.zalezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News this week, we have, well, we have an exciting contest that's running. If you're a Disney insider, we had some major league drops this week on Disney+. Plus. We're going to start with the contest first because we're going to have less to say about it. Disney Movie Insiders is doing a contest right now um, where the grand prize is 50 Funko Pops or Funko figures. That's a lot. That's a lot. And that's a big deal right now. And they're pretty cool. You got Star Wars. You got Marvel. You've got Nightmare Before Christmas slash Haunted Mansion. I'm not really into the Fungos, but I was looking at some of these and I was like, oh, I can see where the obsession begins. Those are nice collectibles. And right. speaking of contests, stay tuned because we're going to have some of our own coming up. Yes. So just keep an eye on the social media. Um, and, and the runner-up is a lounge fly bag. Those are huge. And people love the Disney lounge fly bags. And they're doing three first yeah. runner-ups. Yeah. So, I mean, you got until January 4th to... Uh, to register or to enter, and I'm sure that this is going to be very popular. Yeah, if you're a Disney Movie Insider, you will get an email with a code word that you enter, and then after that, your first entry is free, and then you can redeem points to keep entering up until January 4th. Yeah, the code word is nipping. Um, <laughs> I, I, just had not, to, I just had to throw it It's back. not. Um, so, Disney Plus this week. Um, we got two... Big movie drops, two huge movie drops, okay, on Disney Plus this week. Mulan got open to everybody. For those of you who didn't want to, like us, who didn't want to spend the money, the $30, to watch it in September, uh, it's it's now available just with a regular subscription. Um, We will eventually do a review of it. Um, Spoiler alert, here's my review. Glad I didn't spend $30. Yeah, um... I don't know that we're going to do it anytime soon because I'm still reeling from talking about the Santa Claus 3 that I don't really feel the need to discuss the live action remake of Mulan anytime soon. Yikes. It was beautiful. Shot well. But you want to talk about story errors. Oh boy. Let's talk about the movie that got it right this week that Disney Plus released. A movie that I was not, well, I, uh, I was, was I excited to see it? Mm, I was enthusiastic. I was intrigued. Was I excited? I don't know. Because I love Enchanted so much that I was afraid this was going to be a ripoff. But it was not a ripoff. And God mothered, it got it right. Was it great? No. Was it good? Yes, it was. And where I give it credit is they could have towed the line or even bled over into a blatant ripoff of Enchanted, and it doesn't do it at all. No, here's the thing. I think if we lived in a world where Enchanted never existed, this would have been hilarious. Yes. But I think because we have Enchanted and that just does does it so much better where you're bringing the fairy tale into the real world, um, that's not to say that this wasn't funny, but... Enchanted is still the better one. You know, this is one of those movies, It's a, and it's a good movie, but all of the funny parts are given away in the trailer. Unlike Noel, 
where you kind of wonder, do they give all the funny parts away in the trailer? But you don't get a lot of Billy Eichner in the trailer, and I, I really, that's what makes that movie so funny. I, I mean, yes, and Anna Kendrick is great, but this movie, I think a lot of the belly laughs are in the trailer. It's still a good movie. I still like it. It was certainly better than Mulan. Um, but I think you're on to something. If we didn't have Enchanted as a basis of comparison, which is kind of unfair to Godmothered, um, but if we didn't have that, you're right. I think I would have been a little bit more enthusiastic about the final project. But again, uh, or, or final product. But I've only seen it the one time. And there are a lot of movies that the more I watch it, the better it gets. And I'm interested to see if that's my take on this movie. It also this movie being Godmothered, not the Santa Claus Three. I'm never watching this again. <laughs> um, no, and Godmothered was more of a holiday film than I thought it was going yeah. to be. I just thought, I mean, you had seen a couple of clips in the trailer where there was snow, and I was like, is this really going to be a holiday release, or are they just doing it because there's snow and it takes place in Massachusetts? But um, they do tie it back to the holidays in a in a good way. Yeah, but. You guys can let us know. Did you watch the movies this week? What did you think of these films? Uh, I mean, we could sit here and talk about Mandalorian, but that, that's that's an entire other show that may happen someday. I think we did it last season. We'll probably do it again. This is way too much to talk about with Mandalorian. I can't even get into Mandalorian right now. No, and you don't want to spoil it. Don't no, be that guy. That's the other thing. I don't want to spoil it. Let us know what you thought of the films on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Don't forget, you can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you guys for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. This actually does wrap up the holiday films for 2020 because we've got a few major anniversaries coming up over the course of the next couple of weeks that we really wanted to tackle for you. So I'm not going to tell you what you what they are. Um, Go ahead to Google and, and look at calendars. Disney archives. All right. If you want to go ahead and try and figure it out yourselves. Um, and you can also go and check out the back catalog to cross-reference and see if we have spoken about these films or not. You can do all of that at monorealradio.com where we have links to all of the social media. Or you can go to your podcast platform of choice while you are there. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe. We always love to hear from you guys and we love to hear what you have to say about the show. So... Major anniversaries coming up, and we're going to talk about them over the course of the next couple of weeks. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.